In 2020, out of 3.4 million electric cars sold in the world, only 328,000 was in the United States, compared to 1.39 million in Europe and 1.33 million in China. China makes over half the world's EVs today. They are the world's largest auto buying market. China is leading the race. It's one of the largest and fastest growing electric vehicle markets in the world. And a key part of the electric vehicle, to state the obvious, is the battery. And right now, 80% of the manufacturing capacity for these batteries is done in China. It'll be the first time in my life to see Chinese vehicles on American shores, but I think they're going to be just as tough as the Japanese and Korean vehicles were 20 and 30 years ago. Why is it that the U.S. seems to only have a quarter of the sales than China and Europe? I think the answer lies in effective government incentives and policies. Similar to GPS, general satellite technology, and the internet revolution. The government can play a vital role in the adoption and innovation in any groundbreaking technology. Government regulations and a massive market will help ensure momentum toward green cars. Policymakers in Beijing, not Washington or California, are in the driver's seat. Shenzhen alone now operates more electric buses than every city in the world outside of China combined. Almost all of the city's 22,000 cabs are electric. Both Europe and China have had a head start in policy, pushing for the universality of electrification. The U.S., however, has been taking some steps, too. As part of his administration's broader climate change strategy, President Biden has made investing in electric vehicles a major focus of his $2 trillion jobs and infrastructure proposal. Recently, the Biden administration has invested in building the domestic supply chain for batteries, a critical piece of the EV revolution. Including rebates for people who purchase EVs, money for research into better battery technology, encouraging the government's vast fleet of cars and buses to become electric, and money to build half a million public charging stations across the country for anyone to use. Today on Things of Change podcast, we're going to talk about what governments are doing to clean up supply chains and pursue EV dominance. Welcome to the Battery Series, where we cover puzzling questions around the battery industry from an outsider's perspective. This is the fourth episode of the Battery Series. If you haven't checked out the first three, we encourage you to do so. They cover really important topics like how batteries will power the next technology era, and why it's so hard to make them. We also cover the dirty truth about the EV revolution, including pollution and recycling. Remember, our national labs in America, our universities, our automakers led in the development of this technology. And there's no reason why we can't reclaim that leadership. If you had known how important the technology economy was 20 years ago, would you have done things differently? The internet, cell phones, the cloud, and data. Things have changed, and we're here to talk about it. Hi, I'm Jed. Hi, I'm Shikhar. Welcome to Things Have Changed, your new economics and technology podcast. A lot has changed since the last time we recorded our previous conversation, right? We were talking about batteries and how recycling is essential. Now, since then, uh, we've had a war break out and everyone's reconsidering how they are sourcing their energy. We are still so dependent on oil that it really is such a strategic advantage being offered. 
we're seeing in the US gas prices all time highs. Basically, Europe gas prices are ridiculously high. It's like four times, five times, whatever. Italy, I don't know what it is. It's, it's, I saw some crazy numbers. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> it's always going to be high in Europe, dude. Yeah. That's, that's a thing. Absolutely. Uh, today, you know, I woke up this morning, I read something interesting. A lot of these EU countries have been shutting down their nuclear power plants. I don't know why, right? <laughs> Uh, and we will we will discuss this in a future series, like how we are doing batteries. We'll be talking about nuclear soon. We've been promising that for a long time. But so Belgium cancelled its nuclear power plant shutdown. They're not continuing to shut down. Yes. Okay. Which has been a trend over the last five years across Europe and the US. People are just shutting it down, um, which is terrible because ultimately that energy gap has to be filled by what? Oil, Right. So it doesn't make sense. And suddenly this crisis is now forcing people to see the future, which is very interesting. And what is one of those major energy solutions that we have been talking about over the past, what, three, four weeks now? Has been the utilization of batteries to store energy. So we're just talking about storage, right? Yes, you can power vehicles. You can power a lot of things with batteries. It's fungible in that sense. <laughs> Jesus <Okay>. Christ. <laughs> but Here we go. We'll NFTs, no, 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 another day. But so it's very important to find a clean way to use this technology, advance it to a point where it is vastly more efficient in comparison to gas vehicles, vastly more efficient with respect to petroleum and those dirty energy sources, as well as we spoke about the human rights issues, the mining, the actual transportation of this, the raw materials, the amount Pollution. of- Yeah, the amount right. of water needed to even mine, what was it, a ton of lithium or something. So a lot of wastage of resources goes into it. And we need nations, governments to actually come together and treat this as, hey, let's create a policy to actually- nurture this this burgeoning industry because hey oil gas petroleum gas vehicles has had 100 years to perfect its formulation it was extremely dirty back in the day and now it's less dirty than what it was so we can't expect batteries to be ultra super clean right now what can we do to make sure it is vastly superior as a product five years from now than it is today exactly I mean, uh, the way you started it off, I think, was really important to note because I think right now it highlights our dependence on oil, like you said, right? Um, in Europe, it's more stark. The difference is more stark than the US because us, mm. we have reserves yeah. here. We have different types of production of energy and how to consume. Um, yeah. Whereas in Europe, they're highly dependent on uh, oil. They're highly dependent on resources from Russia. Is waging war at the moment, so it's it's really an important difference to see that um, we need to accelerate this motion. And this, you know, the acceleration has happened prior to the geopolitical issues um, in the area, right? Like companies have been investing in this space for a long time, and now we're seeing governments actually act up on that. So all these initiatives towards uh, net zero have been helping. In that regard, right? So I, I don't know if um, you've been 
paying attention to what happened last year with the COP26, but that was ridiculous, right? I think that especially was a sign that going towards sustainability, we found a couple of solutions going towards sustainability, but going towards sustainability, COP26 identified batteries as one of those important, important um, industries to uh, to foster, right? For us to reach net zero. More than 100 nations came together. To, what? I thought to, there were 26 nations. Isn't it why it's called COP26? Bro, there's more than 100 in there. Oh, nations, I thought it was like government, G6, so six countries, COP26. Okay. Bro, I, I, yeah. It's not an exclusive <laughs> little group. All right. I don't know why it's called COP26 though. I don't, I don't, I don't know why it's called COP twenty. That's a good question. Maybe we should Google that shit. Um, <laughs> Glasgow yeah. Climate Change Conference, known as COP twenty six. Yeah, I. That's not in the initial. You're not going to see what why it's called COP twenty six anywhere. What <laughs> you got to you got to Google it, bro. <laughs> got to Google why it's called COP twenty six. Oh, conference Our, of the parties. That's the lame. That's a lame. Okay, but you know, regardless, that's one of the largest signs that we've seen where people are actually investing in this space, right, and making more promises uh, on top of the Paris Agreement to get to one point five Celsius. Um, and so, you know, we're seeing a lot of these international um, movement towards this space. But what's happening in the U.S. Right. What's happening where we stay? What are we seeing as far as how we're trying to catch up? So I'm going to just quickly tell a little story about what happened um, to clean tech in the U.S. uh, in the last decade. Okay, so uh, are you familiar with the Paris Agreement? Yeah, dude, that was huge. Right. 2015, I think it was. Actually, um, no, I'm not familiar at all. You're not familiar at all. Well, it, it, uh, about in 2015, right? A lot of countries came together to try to figure out how do we make the next generations cleaner generations? How do we get to net zero, basically? How do we save ourselves from this crazy climate change shit, right? Basically, that's what it was. And that really pushed the bar in terms of cleaning up supply chains and figuring out ways to have cleaner sources of, of energy. Right, that pushes forward. Unfortunately, in the United States, we backed out of that agreement in 2016 slash 2017, I believe it was. Uh, we backed out of the Paris Agreement, which set our goals a little bit backwards. Right? What happened when we backed out? What was a really important thing that happened? Well, China took a big role in trying to achieve um, net zero trying to um, adhere to Paris Agreement um, uh, principles, right? So we lagged for like four years in this space because we stopped investing in sustainability initiatives while China just manpowered that shit, right? Now they're the leader in production of solar energy. Um, You have EV production, life cycle of the whole fucking thing. They're controlling a lot of that, right? We talked about it in the past few episodes already. Yeah, I I just wanted to, a small comment there. Uh, We had uh, Arun Seelam, who's uh, the co-founder of uh, Boson Motors, and uh, check out that conversation. It's earlier on. um, And his electric truck for agricultural purposes, the entire engine comes from China. So, you know, we have that conversation uh, with him about that as well. So definitely check that out just to kind of see how far ahead they've kind of 
uh, move the needle when it comes to sustainability. 100%. I mean, you know, just to put it in perspective, um, China right now, Chinese consumers buy more than half of the electric vehicles in the entire world. Okay. That's fucking huge. And they have 98% of electric buses. Although they are a leader in clean tech, it doesn't still add up to how much they should be doing relative to how much they're polluting. So, and so, you know, although it's going to get there, China still plays an important role in pushing the rest of the world actually towards this, right? They're incentivizing their own companies to have more bold um, requirements for length of how long the battery will last, um, durability, all that stuff, safety. The the one that is exciting is the DOE, right? right. DOE pushing forward um, a blueprint for battery companies and domestic manufacturing for that. I think that's a cool initiative because it sets the precedent. Like, you know, I'm a big believer in things stemming from the government and then spreading to the public eye. Like, you know, we've we've spoken about rockets and NASA and how important they are. The internet came from uh, DARPA and all that cool stuff, right? So if when we have policymakers so vested in this type of new sustainable energy, it's a good thing. It's a win for all. The vision, this blueprint, has certain outlines for how we can achieve this this net zero vision, right? Top on that list is secure raw materials uh, yes. and discover alternatives. We spoke about it last last episode, how that is the biggest concern right now within the battery space. Again, dirty, it has ethics issues. It's not... Um, after a certain point, it degrades, so not a great recycling option. So how do we create better alternatives to this? Whether it may be better raw materials. We spoke last week about how, hey, we could potentially use sodium and sodium's is easily accessible everywhere. So we're reducing the impact towards the earth when it comes to mining and stuff. Yeah. And one of the things it points out as well is, is recycling. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, which builds more further towards that circular economy we we're talking about. Um, and that also secures local sources, you know, instead of having to find these mines everywhere. There may be, there may be, it's, we're, we're so far away from it, but there may be a day where recycling actually plays a huge role in um, the supply of these raw materials, right? So that'll be an interesting thing to see. Um, the DOE's making some significant moves, at least to at least build the local supply chains, right? From both supply and demand side, um, they are trying to make that better, as you were mentioning. There's also some things that the current administration is doing to invest in this space uh, directly. You know, I'm sh- I'm sure you guys heard of that 1.2 trillion dollar bill, <laughs> the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act um, that came out from that institution or that administration. Lots of money was set aside specifically for the EV supply chain, right? So $7.5 billion for charging networks, okay? So one of the things that you can think about when you have an electric car, right, is, man, it's so hard to find a charging station, 
I mean, for me, initially, it was never a problem because I was in the West Coast and um, the three states I lived, Arizona, um, Washington, and uh, California, were all home to a bunch of superchargers. Mm. And I have the privilege of also um, being a part of the Tesla network, which means that the superchargers were there way before, you know, um, the other third-party um, chargers that are out there right now trying to capitalize in this space, right? I'm lucky in that regard. But you, you think about GM making electric cars, you think about Ford making electric cars, where the hell are they going to charge their cars? You know, you got to find those charging stations. And I can tell you right now, you probably can't name more than five that's near your area, right? Like, it's kind of hard to find. So it's important to invest in that infrastructure so that people are comfortable. Imagine not having a gas station for more than like 20 miles, right? That's hard to find because there's a lot of fucking gas stations, okay? <laughs> um, so that's important. And then within that bill, we also have $7.5 billion for um, electric buses and ferries, right? We were just talking earlier about China leading um, 98% of the purchasing of electric buses, right? What will that do for us? Well, we have a lot of – I don't. have you been on a Greyhound before? Buses are tight. You go from state to state, easy. I have. It's, it's relatively cheap. Yo, you have. Damn, yeah, okay. I've never returned. <laughs> I've never returned. <laughs> you know why? It was bad. It was. It was bad. It was pretty bad. But you know, it, there's a lot of people get around using buses in the U.S. So because we're we're road centric, right? Not train centric. We're road centric here in the United States. Yeah. So it's quite important to have those um, public infrastructure to be able to support these um, electric vehicles. Um, a cool company actually yeah. building these electric buses in the US at least is Proterra. Um they are also part of that that group that were called out in the um, in the infrastructure plan. So very interesting. Yeah. Um uh, they still haven't um responded to my uh, resume, so <laughs> I'm still waiting. Um any moment now. Any moment. Yeah. It's been 6 years but I think today's my day. I think I think they're going to respond right. now. Right. <laughs> I think 2022. Good job. Good job. <laughs> I mean, look, these battery companies are going to experience and these electric vehicle companies are going to experience um, and are experiencing large influx of investment, private and public, right? So they're going to have a lot more jobs, okay? I spent a lot of time doing research for this specific episode on the Battery Report 2021. Um, shout out to Intercalation, uh, Battery Bits, and Nicholas Yu and Yen Ye. Um, for coming on the show and teaching us a little bit about this. But that yep. was really helpful in gathering the information that we need uh, for this episode. In fact, a lot of what we're going to mention today is found in the battery report. So please check that out. Um, but yeah, you know, c- coming back to what's happening in the United States, I mean, it's just some pretty interesting changes coming with the new um, administration, right? Because all of these blueprints, right now it's it's plants, you know, and investments, so the results will come much later on. We're not going to see a lot of those results right now. But the fact of the matter is, because we're looking at this, there will be a lot more different businesses that are going to be formed, a lot more different supply chain connections going to be formed because of these initiatives, right? People are starting to learn what to do with this and understand that, oh, there's a space for me to invest in. And there's stuff that that um, we can actually go into that the government will support. Yeah, it's encouraging to see EU go so heavy on it that's a big one three billion euros for the european battery innovation project so one thing that really struck with me was this whole battery passport right so we spoke last last week about hey this this recycling thing right um where is it from 
where is the material that goes into the battery that that powers my car? Where is this from? Uh, and that itself is so dirty, right? So EU um, has put up uh, put forward an action plan, um, which is kind of titled battery passport. Uh, it's known as a battery passport. What it is, right? Like anyone's passport. Where are you from? Well, I'm from here and here. So the battery passport is kind of an action plan that that wants to foster circular battery industry. And what does that mean? Again, so circular in the sense that it can be reused, right? Like how the recycling logo is, it's circular. At end of life, yeah. That's one of the big goals in this European Green Deal, right? And zero pollution ambition is is what they're trying to strive towards. Although it is hard. Although it is hard. It's very, very difficult. I mean, one use case I keep thinking about is the UK, right? Um, so I'll, I'll tell you, I went to London last year, right? Um, and in city proper, I noticed, why the hell are there so many electric cars? And all of the taxis are electric cars. I was like, what the fuck? That's, that's huge, right? That's big. A lot of people are investing in electric cars. And what they're doing is they're charging people for having a non-electric car on the streets. And mm. guess what? These guys are going to ban ICE vehicles pretty damn soon. I don't know when the date is, but countries in the EU in general are banning ICE vehicles already. I mean, it's close to 2035 or 2030. We have countries like Norway and the Netherlands that will say, hey, there's no more ICE vehicles that are going to be allowed to be sold. Okay. So that's kind of a big deal, right? Because sentiment they're shift. forcing Huge. Yeah, Huge they're forcing shift. it, dude. Yeah. They're forcing it to happen. But again, with what you're talking about, this geopolitical um, issues and warfare happening in that region are affecting them heavily. And I, I keep thinking about the UK because the UK um, is known for investing in sustainable energy, right? They have done this throughout the last decade, okay? And they've made these um, really important shifts in policy to make that happen. Yet, they are still affected by rising gas oil prices, right? And if you think about it, like even with all that investment and all that that um, that policy that they have around sustainability, they're still affected by gas prices. Imagine the countries in Europe that don't have that. In particular, I'm thinking yeah. about the Netherlands, man. The Netherlands relies heavily, heavily on Russian oil. And we are still we, in that transition, dude. We've just started. Our energy yeah. transition yeah. literally just started. So this is the worst time for us to be fighting high, <laughs> worst time to be fighting high gas prices and, you know, supply issues and stuff. Like yeah. we are, it feels like we are past peak oil, but yeah. this situation has, has pulled us back. Um, and it's about how we can, Will we be in the same situation in 2030 or 2035? Kind of crazy. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, we were talking about this a lot. You said it last time. You were like, we've reached peak oil profits. That's it. You know? Peak like, oil I think profits. That was a year ago. Yeah. That was a year ago. But, dude, you know what's crazy? They made a shit ton of money last All time time highs. All time highs. All time highs. All time highs, dude. The inflation just, dude, it's it's hammering everybody. All of the policies that were laid out in the last five, 10 years, right, will help towards that transition. But there will always, right now, be a healthy mix of 
um, dirty energy and clean energy. And I think what's important is that we are cognizant of the fact that we have to move towards um, that eventuality. So, you know, it, it's happening. It's taking some time. But I think this does set us back the fact that um, we're still not super independent from oil. And that's going to, again, this is going to take decades to get over. But it's good that we're starting now. You know, I visualize a future in which we consume more than 50% of our energy to be sustainable, right? And that's really hard to do, especially in non-Western um, um, countries, right? It is so expensive to even get electricity there, nonetheless sustainable energy. So um, I'm really hoping that this push uh, through policy will mean that in the next few years. Even countries in Southeast Asia are he heavily investing in batteries itself, right? I, I Crazy stat, I know we just have um, a new influx of uh, listeners from Japan. So shout out to Japan if you're listening to this episode, but you guys love the battery series. I've been looking at the stats. Um, most recently, the Japanese government uh, has committed to $877 million Oof. in, yeah, that's huge, to subsidize construction of some sort of like battery factories slash gigafactory. Anyway, so Japan, right? If you think about Japan, you got Honda, Nissan, Panasonic, dude. The people who used to produce are still are producing Tesla's batteries, right? It's huge for them to invest in this space. Japan is extremely important to be included in this uh, supply chain cleanup, right? And so, you know, these kinds of investments, these kinds of moves from policymakers will make it inevitable. Hey, so we really loved this entire series uh, covering batteries. What started as just a conversation with two of the most credible voices in the space, Yen and Nicholas, our, our first episode kind of evolved into this series, seasonal format, um, kind of um, storytelling that we've uh, embraced recently and things have changed. Um, so yeah, we, we just had so much to talk about this, this space, which is going to be so important for humanity over the next 10, 20, 50 years that we thought, hey, let's do justice to this and spread it out over four to five episodes. So uh, hope you liked it. Check out our website, thingshavechangedpodcast.com. Um, we're going to leave a lot of cool links within our show notes so that you guys can look through all the stats and all the policy decisions being made to, to get us to that zero emission future. And like how we leave you with every episode, Let's all stay curious.